Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reese Mandel. Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here. Hi, I'm Jennifer Waits. And as we get ready to enter the month of October of 2021, uh, we're getting ready to celebrate College Radio Day again. And we're reflecting here on how amazing it is that we are here in the second year of this pandemic, which has, you know, shaken up every aspect of our lives, of course, but that at the same time, radio as a medium has pretty much survived, as is the name of our show here, and that we're going forward, there'll be a college radio day again. And it seems as well, Jennifer, that by and large, in the same way that colleges and universities have survived. So, so is college radio, you know, there's been, as we reported on 18 months ago at the beginning of this, of this pandemic or beginning of when we began to really feel the social and political effects of it, when we went into, you know, what we called lockdown, you know, stations immediately kind of got with it and, and and we did some reporting on college and community stations that were able to quickly move into this virtual space that we we've all now become way too accustomed to being in but figuring out how to let djs work from home in particular right and this is sort of in stations of all different kinds and then leveraging technology like automation right which you know minimizes uh your need to have necessarily a live person behind controls at all times while still being able to produce and transmit programming that is consistent with what people expect from college and community radio and, and, and things like this. So, you know, I mean, and, I guess well, going station- into this, yeah, go ahead, Jennifer. Sorry. Oh, and you know, you talked about automation stations also were quickly figuring out how to get DJ set up at home so that people could do live shows also. So you're right. You know, we, we learned that, Pretty quickly, um, radio stations were were gearing up to figure out if they were a little bit behind technology-wise. They were figuring out how to, you know, suddenly leapfrog into um, remote broadcasting and automation and, and using all sorts of collaborative tools so that people could reach the studio when they were maybe outside of the studio. I mean, so many things have been virtualized in this time. And, and, and you know, and, and there could be kind of... Look at it as a net good. I also take a step back, and I was I was thinking about this the other day, because you know, putting aside the internet, <laughs> if we can, but you know, as the fundamental sort of connective tissue that where that 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 really allows this sort of to happen, you know, twenty five years ago, the kind of equipment that people will would use to do this from home was frankly just way more expensive. You know, it's this interesting confluence that we've had, you know, that uh, it's all in lockstep with, you know, how music has become digital as well, right? There are now so many musical artists who also didn't lose a step because they could cut EPs and albums and singles from home, right? With microphones and recorders of the sort that, that frankly are compared to like your average income significantly cheaper than they were a quarter century ago. But I I do want to jump in now and complicate your, the narrative a little bit, Paul, because, you know, you mentioned that we are all doing, um, 
you know, we, we were all thrown into a shutdown, but really it's, it, we, we've split into two worlds and maybe there always were two worlds. Uh, desk job workers stayed home, used the internet, were able to socially distance and continue to work. Any, anyone who had a job that wasn't a desk job, uh, didn't had, had to either uh, go to work with a mask on, uh, take, take their licks, take the risks or not. And what's weird or fun or, or the open question of it all is, is radio a desk job or is, does radio involve, uh, some uh, shoe leather as they used to say in grandpa's generation. And you know, in in the 21st century version of what is radio, uh, obviously, a lot of it can just be done by software. You don't even need a person anymore, right? And that's not the kind of radio we choose to listen to or enjoy. But obviously, a lot of community radio stations have had to fall back on that, especially if they're not able to throw their doors open to volunteers the way they used to. Or they to. found a way to make the volunteers, you know, yeah. accessible through that. But I, I think that's a f- wonderful framing. I love this framing that you've just come up with, Eric, that is radio a desk job, right? Um, and, and in some ways... Yeah, especially community radio. Yeah, and in some ways we can say, I mean, I think even if we're talking about 20th century community radio, I think we can say, yes, we formally call the mixing board a desk, <laughs> right? And And... If we think about that, uh, if you, if you sort of if people bring the image of a DJ to their minds, I think they still think of somebody who's sitting in front of a mixing board, has a microphone, has turntables and media players, and that I mean, you, you know, you are sitting there. It, it and and anything that's not tends to be uh, reporters, certainly journalists, right? Folks yeah. who have to go into the field, um, and you know, I think in in some ways, you know, radio reporting was always done to some extent from a desk it is as print reporting has been because you can make phone calls you know you can bring well, interview I, subjects you know etc cheap i would say cheap reporting sure cheap for the bosses and of less quality to the readers is done from a desk with phones it's called phoning it in uh real journalism requires shoe leather that's where the term comes you do need if if you are getting a fair wage for your time journalist journalism is a higher quality and truth is uncovered. It's not just about a, like a, like a esoteric value system that I've created because I think going well, outside. I don't think we want to discount uh, research-based journalism, but there is a difference between sometimes you have to actuality leave the, and leave the office to get the story. Yeah, that's and absolutely. You're not going to get, you're not going to get the story from, from just from data or just from, what's on the internet or just from emailing and phones, you need to go talk to people who are in the world in person. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I saw some interesting discussions with journalists, uh, um, I guess about a year ago talking about what it was like to be doing interviews during the pandemic and some of which were happening over zoom. And, and they talked about the complexities of that and, you know, that having the camera on, in those situations is better because then at least you're trying to replicate what it's like to talk to somebody in person where you're paying attention to their body language sure. and making but eye contact. Again, it's a privilege question because the people who are easiest to contact over the internet, the people who, who you know who you mm-hmm. want to talk to already are already a certain kind of elite. And the people that you don't know yet that you want to talk to them, they're outside somewhere and you would have to go find them. And a journalist working 
in in a room would find that person and a, and a journalist from the you know uh, the other thing I was thinking Paul is that you mentioned that many recording artists were able to continue their careers but obviously those are the recording artists of a certain strata that weren't depending on live performances well right to earn yeah, a yeah, living. Right, that, yeah like the middle class of music was devastated by the pandemic and continues to be that continues to be the yeah, case. Yeah, so and, and that was more of an aside. That today. was an aside, and I want to kind of re-knit what I was trying to say. So that I mean, and I'm happy for you to complicate it. And I think you're right. If you're if you're reporting on the housing crisis that's hit most major cities, um, that's going to be a shoe leather thing because the people most affected by it are the people who are having um, economic stressors, bearing economic stressors, and and whose housing is in jeopardy, which is you know in many ways a prerequisite for being able to have access to phone and internet and things like this. And I think, you know, what I'm trying to draw out here, though, is, is that, you know, in, in these, uh, what is going on to be 18 months or so, um, is that through it all, I'm still sort of fascinated by the fact that the medium of radio has been able to truly persevere and that what we, we haven't heard about is is the is masses of stations closing whatever the type of station it is whether it's non-commercial community college it doesn't seem to have brought that on in the same way that unfortunately the pandemic has had you know significantly deleterious effects on small businesses on you know large businesses on all sorts of people so i don't yeah i don't wish to to imply in any way that everything is great here uh, 18 months in and that, it, and that, um, you know, mostly people who haven't been affected. I'm, I'm trying to narrow that focus in that it's interesting how this particular medium informed by and, 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 and supported by technological change, which, which happens in a way that is almost invisible till you take a step back and look at it. The idea that, that, people would just own microphones, <laughs> right? Which, you know, or, or, or audio or digital audio recorders, or we just happen to have this stuff or, or a, this machine that you could plug it into and broadcast. It. And then that could be something which were, you know, not esoteric is, is, is something I think worth noting. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. it's been an incredible time uh, for podcasts, for radio shows, for YouTube content that's interview based, uh, Lots of people have really wonderful sound gear now to be recorded on. And the internet, the connections that we have are also, uh, it's a dream. It's a dream time. You know, I haven't heard phone tape in a really long time. Well, and I mean, it's interesting because radio stations, I think, were, even though I, I was mentioning that not everybody was prepared for things like, having DJs doing their shows from home. Not everybody was prepared for automation, but radio stations are set up uh, with technology generally, you know, and, and I think throughout the pandemic, it's been interesting to see how our ideas about what sound is supposed to sound like on the radio has changed. And, and at my, where I DJ and volunteer at KFJC at Foothill college, I know that um, we used to, do production where people would come together and create uh, spots for the station, maybe things like legal IDs or, you know, what you think of as promotional audio pieces for people's shows or events. 
those used to be created in the studio and, and now we're not allowed to come together in the studio yet. So those meetings are happening online over zoom. And so it's just, you know, everyone has different equipment at home. And so that has become acceptable at, at my station that there's going to be variability in people's sound and audio equipment and that's okay. And, you know, that in a way that's, it means more people can be involved with production. Maybe not everybody could come to the station on a Monday night or whenever these meetings might happen. And now people who maybe have drifted away might live in different cities. They can participate. So I think it's kind of interesting that it's created, this pandemic has created some different opportunities for participation. And and obviously there are people who now are excluded if they don't have internet access at home um, or the technology or headphones. Um, but it also means some people can participate. Another interesting aspect to this is that, you know, Radio has had technology to connect people over distance for a very long time, um, going all the way back really to the beginning days of commercial radio when uh, the phone companies would provide specialized phone lines to connect up, uh, you know, broadcasts from coast to coast, right? Um, before there was satellite technology, before there were other technologies. And, and, and then over time, you know, these sort of, these sorts of phone lines became more common and were often used by stations to connect, um, even their station to a, um, to a remote transmitter, right. That's not at the building. So they could get high quality audio over long distances. And, and then there is, um, you know, through the eighties into the nineties and the two thousands, there's a technology called ISDN, which is really the precursor to home internet. So it was a digital phone line, which stations, but, but in, in, you know, like a phone line, you could essentially make a call that's digital between two different locations um, and had been used for a very long time uh, for radio interviews in particular, connecting up, you know, let's say, uh, uh, you know, for an interview program, think of like Fresh Hair, right, with Terry Gross where um, almost never is her guest in the studio with her in Philadelphia. They're somewhere else, probably Los Angeles or somewhere like that. But they're talking live over this direct digital phone line, which is now being phased out, actually. So it, it, it's interesting that, that this, this fall in September, AT&T, when, you know, a very large uh, phone company that provides much of this, um, much of this infrastructure, uh, has notified customers that uh, beginning this month, September of 2021, they're going to stop offering the service. And, you know, for the average person, that's it, it is sort of meaningless. But it's interesting to me because so much of uh, radio, particularly networked radio, whether you're talking about the commercial networks or you're talking about NPR, has relied on that technology for decades because it was reliable, it worked. And everyone had it. And, and it was expensive. <laughs> it was expensive to have, uh, you know, it was much more expensive than having a phone line, much more expensive in most cases than like than internet. It was, and you paid by the minute, right? And, and, and you're right. And you pay by the minute. And, and it's going away because we've got to this point, <laughs> which took a very long time, 
where the internet is now reliable enough. But I think, and, and Eric, you can sort of correct me. I mean, when you worked for Free Speech Radio News, I, I believe you probably had ISDN available to you at, at KPFA. No? Well, KPFA definitely used ISDN yeah. all the time for various um, various productions. That, and we're know, talking that, about this is during the aughts. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Fifteen years ago, but uh, Free Speech Radio News never used ISTN. Okay, so you were so, but at, at KPFA they would use it. Yeah, it was some. It was something that that would be used on a regular basis, multiple times a week. Something over ISTN, and there were certain producers who were uh, playing this game that we've been talking about on today's episode of Radio Survivor, where they'd be remote producing. They they'd produce from home. Certain people uh, had managed to have an ISDN set up. At in remote house. locations, yeah. yeah, at their house or in other institutional settings like schools that were not uh, that were not in Berkeley at the radio station, and they could ISDN in. So there was a uh, there were, it was used. It, I you know I never set one up, but it was used. Yeah, not, and I, yeah. Go and ahead. I believe they could be set up on a temporary basis. Yes. So let's say you wanted to. It's a phone call. A remote broadcast from somewhere. You would pay for an ISDN line. Yeah you know, temporarily so that you could get the audio. Yeah. Cause um, they could just bring event. it off the phone line. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's exactly, you know, when I was a college radio advisor, um, you know, beginning around 2008, the, uh, the sports department of the uh, radio station had used that because they called, um, you know, big 10 games. So, uh, division one games, and they would go on location and at these various stadiums at, at universities around the country would have to call in several weeks in advance to get an ISDN line set up uh, for them to do that. But it, but what it was starting to happen in, in even 2008 is that they were increasingly no longer able to get them. They get put like the, like the local phone company wouldn't want to deal with them or they'd mess it up and they'd end up having to default to doing the calls over regular old phone lines, right? Which doesn't sound great, especially over FM radio. And that's when we moved them over uh, to using um, to using a system that uh, you know uh, that's called a codec system. There's many different brands. That was internet Com-rex. based. That's one brand. There's many others. Yeah. Um, Barracks is another brand, um, and we're not endorsing any of them. And uh, where, where you know, sure there was the ability to stream online, right? But one of the problems anyone who's been on a Zoom meeting knows is that you know sometimes things get out of sync. Uh, there's a delay and these devices are developed specifically for broadcast and trying to sort of conquer some of the, the problems with internet that was never designed to be real time. The internet was never really designed for audio and video. These are all kludges. These are all, you know, hacks basically for a system that was never intended to, to, to support uh, real time audio and video. And, um, you know, so all they had to do was basically, you know, get someone to give them internet access at the at the other university, the other uh, at the other uh, stadium, which ended up being easier in most cases. And then in other cases, you know, we were able to get them like a mobile hotspot, right, to get them onto a mobile cellular network, and that could almost be enough, you know. So which people, you know, are probably more, uh, uh, which is much more common now than it was even, you know, then twelve years ago, thirteen years ago. But, you know, it's interesting to me that we're seeing this end of the era in the background here that's mostly invisible, right, to the to the average person, of course, and even invisible to a lot of college and community radio, which probably, I mean, you know, I, when I did community radio in, in the 90s and 2000s, we, we had an ISDN installed once 
<laughs> because we did, uh, we were uh, the host for something called the Homelessness Marathon, which is a, a nationwide o- uh, t- overnight uh, broadcast to raise awareness around homelessness. And we were the host station, so we were sending it out to a head end to be put out on satellite. But we only ever used it once <laughs> in the course of like 15 years of it being installed until the phone company basically said, sorry, you know. It's no longer going to be connected to anything. We, you know, we weren't paying for it at the time, and because now everyone says, "Well, we'll just do it over the internet," and and it's and I think it's true. And in some ways, I think behind the scenes, the pandemic pushed that through. If you listen to, I think, um, you know, if you, if you watch television, you see many more people who are coming in over over a video conference, you know, set up on the internet. Uh, who in the past would have been asked to go to a studio in a, you know, a remote studio that would be connected by satellite or some other technology. Um, you know, and, and you definitely hear on all sorts of, uh, other radio, you know, especially more like public radio people coming in also over the internet rather than over other sorts of technology. It's, you know, it's interesting watching my local news. There was a point where you started to see, some of the anchors and reporters coming back to the studio or like the weather, the weather reporter. Um, but then a few weeks later, I noticed that some of them were back at home periodically. So it's interesting. Like I, at the time I thought, Oh, okay. Does this mean people are now completely back in the studio? Things are back to the way they were before, but it looks like it's, you know, at least on the stations that I'm watching, it's becoming a bit more of a hybrid. And I wonder if that's the way it's going to continue into the future where it's not this simple return all the way back, that it's going to be more fluid where audiences are are not going to be troubled by seeing the weather being reported from somebody's home one day and from the studio right. on the next day. Well, and my main concern, I've mentioned it on episodes of Radio Survivor before, but I... um. I think about the time where I was a young person at a community radio station and how many accidents and opportunities I had because of the privilege of being in the building. And Mm -hmm. obviously even that was a privilege to begin with, but I was at least there and I met people and learned from them and I picked up work that I didn't expect and I performed tasks and learned from strangers so many different things occurred because of being there and i was and i was welcome and it wasn't just me the story's not about me dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens at the same time of other young people were also in that building during those weeks during those years learning radio and that's an opportunity that we know is at least being drastically constrained by the continuation of the pandemic and uh, i just uh, worry i just worry about how people are going to get back in the building to learn from each other. Yeah. And, you know, off mic, we were talking a little bit about, you know, another shift that's happened this fall is that for some of us, our kids have returned to in-person school, which they haven't been in school since March, 2020 in person. And, you know, my personal anecdote is it's, the shift has been profound and amazing. And, you know, to, to hear my kid talking about socializing and spontaneous conversations and spontaneous hangouts. And um, I don't know, it's impossible to really articulate, you know, the, the difference between being at home for a year and a half versus 
you know, socializing and doing school in person. And so I have to believe that what you're saying, Eric, about being in the workplace, it's the same thing where, yeah. um, uh, you know, of course it's not, um, it, it's not completely wonderful to be at home for no, all this and, time. And you remind me like, just like school, you know, everybody got to come to the same radio station. The building belonged to everybody. The equipment that there was the highest, cal- you know, it was everyone's equipment to a certain extent. And uh, you don't want everyone at home necessarily, you know, people have different kinds of homes and different kinds of private spaces. And just like students learning in elementary school and high school, not every student has the right kind of space in their private dwelling to learn or to produce radio uh, and coming to the building uh, to be more egalitarian and to, you know, communal. It's an important step for, especially for community radio. It's one thing for work, uh, or school. It's another thing uh, for this thing that we love called radio. Um, And that's something that, you know, we, that's something that I've enjoyed is being at radio stations where we do come together as a community, like having weekly meetings where we all see each other. And, you know, I've heard from people at other stations who don't necessarily know their colleagues and I feel like they're missing out. Um, Well, I I hope you don't think I'm, I'm endorsing (laughs) <laughs> the shift, right? I, when I, you know, I'm, I mean, I think that there are positive aspects to this resiliency that the medium has shown, um, that it, that, and, and a positive aspect in that it has not been gutted by, by this pandemic, that college and community radio, this interesting non-commercial ways of doing these things or, and, and, and throw podcasting on top of that, um, have really survived right and and through this all and it it has had you know as as we've just mentioned these positive aspects in which perhaps it's made it more accessible to some people where getting to a radio station uh on location may be actually a, a barrier right while it also presents a challenge for people whose uh domestic life or um you know resources uh mean that really the the only way that they can easily accomplish being on the radio is by being in a studio somewhere, right? Like it's one door opens, one door closes. And and I'm not at all trying to be insensitive to that. Um, So much as remark that we're, you know, we, we paid all this attention to the shifts brought by the pandemic, you know, in April and, and, and May of 2020. And then we sort of, revise a little bit of it again in April and May of 2021. And I'm just sort of taking a step back to appreciate that we're, we're not having to write eulogies, right? Yeah. That, 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 that the show is not about the loss of all these, I mean, the eulogies for all of the people we've lost and, and that is very sad, but, but that somehow through this uh, radio really has survived. And I mean, that's sort of my mantra about college radio generally that, you know, there are ups and downs at stations over the years, but college radio has really been nimble and has taken on so many different forms in its, you know, over 100 year history. Um, You know, you can be a college radio station that lives on an app. You can be a college radio station with a huge FM signal. You could broadcast using a public address system on your campus. Some stations 
were only heard over a phone line by calling a phone number or on a cable station. And to me, all of that is college radio and, and, and the way that the way that it's uh, transmitted is just only part of the story. So yeah, I, I mean, I feel like college radio is, is ever the resilient survivor and, you know, just thinking about fall 2021, I'm, you know, stations have been managing to do radio in a lot of different ways during the pandemic. And, and some stations never really closed. Some stations have only had kind of a skeleton crew of people inside the building at Princeton University, WPRB. They just brought, they just brought people back to the studio in, I believe, August 2021. And, and they'd been out of the studio since March 2020, although they continued to do radio. So, so it's interesting, you know, there, there continue to be kind of these shifts where I think all of us feel like things might be opening up. Well, things have been opening up and they open up a little bit, they might close a little bit, but there are these um, milestones for some stations, like bringing everybody back into the building, I think has got to be incredibly exciting at WPRB. And outdoor event broadcasting is a very safe, especially uh, before the winter uh, weather really sets in. I know that I've seen on social media some amazing examples of um, of community radio continuing to be made in public around people, not not doors closed you know, yeah. not 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 a secluded uh, elite radio, but a but an open community radio um, is possible. You know, you, even if the weather is a little cold, you can you can get uh, one of those one of those structures okay. to cover yeah. a to cover your yeah to cover your mixer some heaters and 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 on top of that, I think you know I I know about many stations that have you know used outdoor uh, events as, as station mixers, right? As ways to kind of now sort of compensate for the lack of the, the indoor proximity uh, for folks who are comfortable uh, meeting with others outdoors, you know, understanding that, right, this is always, we're always provisional. We're still trying to manage a, an unpredictable virus. And, you know, through all of this, there are people getting sick, people dying and lives at stake. And yet, at the same time, you know, life goes on. And I also, I mean, I want to say that the other side of this that we haven't really mentioned is that, you know, that, that means the stations continue to be there for listeners, right? Because, you know, radio, in, in, from, a, from a listener standpoint, the pandemic did not, would not make radio leave people's lives. I think that the shift that we saw early on is that when people's work lives changed and commutes, especially car commutes changed, we saw changes in the way people listen. Um, because especially for terrestrial radio, more, especially for commercial radio, but not only commercial radio, much of it happens in the car and much of it happens, you know, running errands or commuting to and from work. And when that, you know, for a time nearly went, you know, went away mostly for most people that definitely had an impact, but all the evidence shows that in many ways people began to replace that listening, meaning, you know, pick it up somewhere else. And of course lives have, have people's, you know, lives and in, in transportation have, have taken changes since then. And, and I think it's so important that radio continue to be there, you know, certainly in terms of that building the community, 
keeping people informed, you know, and it isn't, there have been other very important weather and news events that have happened in the interim besides the pandemic where radio has been very important, uh, you know, from storms, uh, hurricanes and things like this, where radio, as we've talked about many times, continues to be uh, an incredible lifeline that, you know, things like internet and cellular technology have yet to take the place of simply because a radio receiver needs batteries and, and almost nothing else in order, in order to work. And that to me is, is another important part of the story. So whether that radio, whether the radio is functioning in that more um, kind of uh, life-saving measure or whether it's simply company and comfort for people because, and, and as we know, college and community radio, very much serve that function of being of someone knowing there's someone on the other side of that microphone and, and connecting that way. Um, and for that, not going away <laughs> during this time. And certainly I'm, you know, for all sorts of people, it changed. Um, and, and, but, but for it to stick around, I think is also really important. We don't want to forget that role of the listener and how, and that's really why we're here in that, you know, it's easy for us as radio people, as people who produce radio to shift into that mindset of thinking about it from that production side, from inside. And very much, that's much of what we talk about, but that, uh, there's a reason why we're doing it. And, and that, that uh, persists, uh, even so. Um, and I think, I think it's worth, you know, taking that, that step back here, you know, especially since, you know, we're going in, we are in the fall here, as you mentioned, Jennifer, you know, kids are back at school, um, and college students are back in college. Uh, and in, you know, in many cases, a lot of, uh, stations, community stations take this time as a time to sort of refresh their schedules and new programming hits the air. And, and, uh, so I, I did, you know, I, I previewed it at the beginning of the show, but I wanted to, to take us back to that, that preview of that. We do have college radio day coming up. And so uh, Jennifer, tell us, you know, for folks who haven't heard of it or, or, or maybe you've forgotten, uh, what is college radio day? Yeah. Well, so this year it's happening October 1st. It's world college radio day now is what it's called. And this is the 11th annual hmm. event and 11. it's uh, yeah, 11. And so Rob Quick, he started College Radio Day um, with the idea of wanting to have a day of the year when college radio stations come together and celebrate college radio. And um, and they're encouraged to do events, do special programming, do fundraisers. And, you know, the idea is that collectively it helps raise the profile of college radio if a lot of people are doing doing events on the same day. And one of the things that I think is interesting that is now part of College Radio Day is that they do a worldwide college radio marathon, uh, a broadcasting marathon each year where stations, college radio stations from around the world take part. So if you tune in, you might hear a station from... Japan, followed by a station from France, followed by a station from Brazil. And, and, um, and it's really, you know, I've tuned in and it's fascinating to hear what college radio sounds like uh, around the country. And my expertise is much more in college radio in the United States. So I love any opportunity to hear 
stations from other places. Um, so that will happen again. The, the global, it'll be a 24 hour world college radio day, global marathon where, where you'll hear these different sorts of stations. And um, another interesting thing, uh, they have college radio day ambassadors every year. And this year's ambassadors, weird Al Yankovic and and he's interesting because he was also a college radio DJ. He had a college radio past at KCPR at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And um, I, I definitely enjoyed, I, I toured that station many years ago and I enjoyed hearing the lore about Weird Al and, uh, you know, what he was like as a college radio DJ. And, and there's so many people in in music and in media who have these college radio, college radio pasts. So, I think it's it's great that their ambassador is somebody who has real college radio yeah. in you, you his blood. You can't mention Weird Al and college radio. Early 80s Weird Al without me dropping in um, love for Dr. Demento and the Dr. Demento show, which began as a college radio show, but then uh, grew into a syndicated radio program that, that launched Weird Al's career. Um because it was devoted to uh, funny songs, you know, and a, a, a real important part of the 80s, 90s. Uh, I don't, you know. Totally. Well, yeah, and Dr. Demento, you know, he started at Reed College, and and I believe he's also a musicologist. You know, he's got, you know, definitely deep knowledge. and, and Focusing and this, on parody music and music, you know, right. humorous music and... and uh, and, and and such. Jennifer, was there a college radio day last year? I don't remember. Um yes, there was. <laughs> what was last year? Twenty twenty, yes. Yeah, um, you know, and, and college college radio day, the College Radio Foundation, um, they also host Vinyl Thon and that still happened during the pandemic as well. It it's sort of that and, was And a what day. is Vinyl Thon? It was a day when they encouraged college radio stations to play vinyl. And, you know, however, for whatever length of time a station desired to play vinyl, um, it, it just as, you know, to have another kind of fun event that brought stations together. And in the pandemic, they were very, very loose about how stations might participate. So, you know, people might have been doing vinyl shows from home or, you know, um, wasn't necessarily, didn't necessarily have to be, um, because I think in some cases for Vinyl Thon pre-pandemic, it might have been a day when at some stations that maybe didn't have vinyl collections or large vinyl collections, it would be this rarity where they borrowed vinyl and lots of people would come into the station oh. and they'd stay up all night. and Or needles, right? Or, or record players. Exactly. And, and maybe some of these stations don't even normally broadcast for 24 hours straight with live DJs. So, so if that's the way you did a vinyl thon in the past, then you might not have done it that way during the pandemic. Right, right. Um, so, so things have shifted, but I think, you know, it's great that they've continued to hold these events knowing that it might just look a little bit different than before. Yeah. And I mean, again, I, I, I note that as part of the radio staying power, college radios, uh, resilience, as, as you pointed out before, uh, Jennifer, and that we can still sit back and, and celebrate it. And I said 11 years of college radio day. Right. You know, like, wow. And, and, and Rob Quick himself um, is a professor and radio advisor. Is that correct? Yes. 
Yeah, he's the founder of uh, College Radio Day. Is he still at William Patterson University in New Jersey? He is indeed. Yeah, and and we had him, we had him on Radio Survivor. We've had I think. him on. We've had him on the show to talk about that. Yeah, William Patterson Way University <laughs> is is nearby where uh, I I went grew up, and uh, I used to listen to their uh, radio station back in the late nineteen eighties. Um, is a very different station then, um, but you know, as stations do tend to uh, shift and and uh, and morph uh, over time, and um, yeah, you know, I'm glad that that can continue, you know, and that's the thing about sort of the nature of a thing like College Radio Day is that it is because it is distributed. Right, and it is it is celebrated wherever there is college radio. That isn't a day in which necessarily everyone needs. It's not like a conference; everyone doesn't need to necessarily come together. And 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 the the networking in some ways is is very. Um, even though it's all in one day, it's asynchronous. Though I guess there have been there are these broadcasts right where everyone hands off from from station to station. But, uh, you know, it's like a holiday in that way, right? You know, we all celebrate in our own time zone in our own way, but yet, and yet we're still doing it all together, right? And that interesting way in which, uh, which human beings can experience time and, and, uh, and celebrations together. Um, so it's really great to hear that, that, uh, that that continues on. And I know Jennifer, you mentioned, um, you know, that, there's sort of annual uh, conference. We, I mentioned conference at College Radio Day isn't, but there is one um, yeah. th- that comes up uh, most years. But um, this year, I guess, will be virtual as, uh, again. Yeah, yeah. So we just got word from CBI, College Broadcasters, Inc. They just made the decision to move their National Student Electronic Media Convention. It happens every year in October. Um, and it was going to happen in person. Uh, but it just moved online. So it, so it's interesting, you know, like things just keep shifting for mm-hmm. people. I think there was this optimism that we'd be able to have a lot of these big conferences this fall. And, and we're starting to see that change. And, and some universities aren't really allowing faculty to travel. So it kind of may not even make sense to have a conference that is academic in nature. So I know, I know there are some conferences that are continuing in person, but they've made the decision to move it online, which... I'm happy about because that means I can go because I wasn't planning to travel. Um, So that's going to be October 27th to 30th and details will be forthcoming about um, what the, what the schedule is going to look like. So obviously that's going to shift a bit if it was already sort of being planned to be in person. So thinking about these conferences, um, the national association of broadcasters conference, which is an, an enormous conference that, generally takes over Las Vegas in the fall was also planned to happen. And it was just, uh, was just canceled as well. And I know that, you know, at first the news would come down that certain, uh, large exhibitors, which is tends to be more on sort of like broadcast equipment and things like this. Sony was one I heard were, were, were pulling out that they weren't going to send people to have their big displays and their conference floor because, you know, tens of thousands of people come for this. And, and it's that same, you know, it shows that same. Uh, we're all on the same shaky ground, right? We we don't know how this, unfortunately, how this virus is going to spread and how, 
you know, our efforts to mitigate it will or will not be effective. And it's hard to make plans, (laughs) ultimately, how it is. And that was pretty, pretty big news for the broadcast industry, you know, especially the commercial broadcast industry, obviously, because NAB covers radio and television. It's not only a radio, but there's definitely an enormous radio uh, component to it. You know, and it isn't only the commercial side of the industry that goes. Uh, many, many folks from uh, public broadcasting go, and I, I've known people from uh, community broadcasting who've gone, and as well, uh, podcasting uh, is represented there often uh, as well. Uh, and it, it again, it's 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 an enormous shift, and and it's real tough for the folks who you know. For the folks who whose livelihood in some ways depends upon uh, such a show happening, whether it's the exhibitors or the people working there, um, you know, I did go to a podcasting conference this summer, and I went to a podcasting podcast movement in August, um, at the very beginning of August, and it was it was interesting because when I had agreed to go and then I agreed to be on a panel, um, it was right. It was right in that brief period, I think, if we all remember, in July of 2021, when uh, you know many of us are vaccinated and ha- and had vaccines that were fully, uh, um, you know, potent, and it seemed as though the uh, we were starting to see cases and hospitalizations decline. So I'm in agreement, and sort of just before I was getting ready to leave, we sort of saw the rise of the Delta vi- variant, right, of the coronavirus. Um. I decided to go, uh, and then they were still having it. And and you know, I, I know the organizers, so and I trust the organizers of this show um, are to be very reasonable people. And was masked and social distance, and I avoided some, uh, you know, some you know, I tried to be careful with regard to the, um, you know, to, to to social aspects and things like this. I probably wouldn't do it again. <laughs> to be frank, I'm not really eager to go to another uh, conference. And, you know, in many ways, I'm glad I went because I was able to see other folks I know. I mean, I saw colleagues, frankly, for the company I work at, which is which is Stitcher, now part of uh, SiriusXM Satellite Radio. So I saw some of my colleagues who, who, who had decided to go as well, as well as, you know, folks I know who work across uh, the industry, you know, other podcasters. And, and it, it was... It was very good, and, and it was sort of this brief reminder of of, of what we're losing in in, in so many ways, um, and uh, and 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 I was it was for myself. I was just so trepidatious going, and and as it turns out, I you know by luck, probably more than anything else, I've managed not to uh, not to contract uh, the virus, um, you know, and. Uh, yeah, it is interesting to reflect back on it because as we are sitting here in late September, uh, you know, that was maybe six, seven weeks ago. And it feels like a lifetime ago in, in so many ways because because of this shift. And, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm now thinking to myself, it's like, what could I report on from that conference? Because it's sort of blurred in my mind with just the experience of, of, of having gone. And, uh, and and been somewhere uh, in person uh, with 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 all of these podcasters and people from uh, from the podcast industry, and certainly there were uh, there were notable absences as well, as well as folks who who did decide to go or or went, and were very um, careful uh, with their with their time and 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 sort of their their appearances. 
um, you know, as, as, as the shift and yet podcasting as, as an industry is a commercial industry, but I think also just as a medium, you know, just like radio is in that same kind of section where it is, it has survived, you know, and I think, you know, continues to be a great opportunity for people who want to communicate and connect. And in some ways, I think radio's ability to persevere in these last 18 months is related to the rise of podcasting. Like I think it's one of those, it's, it's one of those forces that brought about um, people learning basically how to record themselves, <laughs> people learning how to use sound and, and uh, recording equipment to create programming because that programming can be for radio in as much as it can be for the internet, right? For a podcast, um, you know, and certainly it's, it's all, it's within these 18 months, Jennifer, that you, you started another podcast, right? Um, that was this year. I know, Yeah. <laughs> I believe and like, it was it was this year, but like you, like it feels like ten years ago or like yesterday. I mean, I feel like I'm in such a weird time warp. Um, but I think also, you know, yeah, podcasting, but also for those of us who have suddenly um, started doing all sorts of Zoom calls or other, you know, video calls on the internet, I think that has caused a lot of people to really up their game as far as audio. Um, and you know, suddenly a lot of people seem to be interested in headphones and or having a USB mic. Yeah. So they, they sound good and not echoey and, and lots of feedback. Yeah. I was on a call today, but it, you know, we still haven't perfected it. I was on a call today where somebody had two, they were in two windows on a zoom call and we had the most insane feedback going that, um, <laughs> may have sounded like an experimental music <laughs> Um, yeah, where are the that, experimental Zoom calls, right? I mean, they, can, is this become a genre? Can we can we uh, can we create sort of the party line Zoom calls that are that are all about uh, an experimental sort of art art uh, uh, twisting of the medium? I, I mean, I enjoy those moments. Um, there, there's somebody I know in every Zoom meeting. They kind of look like Max Headroom. There's something going on <laughs> with their video that I find so amazing because it's. Um, you know, Eric, I think probably has some of the terminology to explain what was going on, but it, you know, it almost looks like a TV screen on the bottom of their, of their zoom, uh, video. And I don't know why. Wow. Those, yeah. The scan lines. Uh, yeah, that's the, uh, those are the, uh, the vertical stabilization part of the signal on an analog television signal, analog TV, which by the way, does not exist any longer in the United States, um, as of this past summer, which, which we've talked about on the, um, on the show. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think these breakdown these breakdowns in the system are interesting and as we come out of it I wonder like you do if we're going to see some art that is taking advantage of um you know of the breakdown <laughs> the feedback. Well, yeah, and so this week Eric and I were, were were lucky enough to go see a live show together to see the band Negative Land, which which is a, which is something I think. In fact, uh, Eric, I think uh, last week uh, we rebroadcast um, a, a segment about uh, about Negative Land and the documentary that was produced uh, about them. Um, because the reason why it reminds me of it, Jennifer, is that uh, Negative Land, a band, they are a collage artist and musicians who are very much about you know processing and reappropriating media detritus to create new meanings, 
uh, you know, a, a fundamental part of their of their work and their oeuvre has been a, a radio show done called Over the Edge on KPFA, which has now been on the air, uh, something on the order of 40 years, I think, um, or darn close to 40 years. And um, so they, during these pandemic times, uh, have done some appearances, including one that was on uh, NPR's Tiny Desk Concerts, which used to be people would literally go into the NPR offices in, in Washington, I think, and play a concert at someone's desk, at Bob Boylan's desk. Um, they would. And right now, of course, on hold uh, for the pandemic and has become these sort of virtualized with the performers doing so from home. And and Negative Land, uh, currently, the members don't live in the same city. So, you know, they're, they're spread out from San Francisco to Seattle to North Carolina. And so they did, um, for that uh, Tiny Desk concert, they did a, a virtual one where they've now teamed up with this visual artist, Sue C., who does these video visualizations. Um, and they played a concert basically over Zoom. And the interesting part of it is that they're not entirely synchronized. <laughs> Because we all know about the nature of these uh, of, of these Zoom calls or, or video calls. There's just a little tiny bit of delay between everybody. And sometimes it can be more and sometimes it can be less. And we all sort of familiar with, with the glitches. And, and for musicians, that can be difficult because it's it becomes very difficult to, to keep precise time for everyone to be on precisely on the one rather than the one and. But Negative Land has sort of figured out how to make that work for them. And, and they, what they, they even did this past summer a, um, a, uh, uh, a live performance for the Ann Arbor Film Festival, which was online. And then subsequently did a Zoom presentation and Q&A to explain how they did it, which was fascinating. And where they really said, yeah, we're sort of have everybody patched into uh, Mark Hosler's house in North Carolina and and he had somebody there kind of directing it a little bit but for the most part the other members saying yeah when I mean, we're hearing everything but we don't really know if we're on time and so we're just trying to do things so that we can we can cope with that and so then seeing them live uh this past week at the Holocene in in Portland um i could see how that experience was inflecting them being there and truly live where at least two members were there in synchrony, you know, mass on in the front of the stage where they can hear and see each other and, and collaborate. And yet the difference between their sort of live production in live, like in person versus what I saw online, were not readily so necessarily as apparent. And, and I found that fascinating interplay between them having to work with the technology they had to be online and, 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 and virtualized and how that is seemed to be bleeding into what then they were doing when they could all be on the stage together in, in one place. Um, it, it was, it was for me at least uh, sort of fascinating to take into account yeah. that. And they I, also had their live visuals. Uh, Sue C was there next to them with, with her apparatus to create the uh, projected visuals. I would just like to say about negative land and their show, uh, where vaccines were required to be checked at the door and everyone wore a mask when they were inside. And and yet still, I don't know if I will be attending any other live shows for the rest of uh, the pandemic. Um, but I went. and But well, the thought that occurs to me, uh, based on their performance, as well as the... I had just downloaded... Well, 
I had just listened to a downloaded archive of Over the Edge, Don Joyce's radio show that, you know, is a part of the band Negative Land, but longer, three hours long every week. Uh, and there's an episode uh, that I hopefully will remember to put a link in the show notes called, uh, um, it's, it's about how brains work. I forget the title of the episode, but it, it, um, it's partially about how it, to summarize it in my own words, our brains are analog. We, we have analog brains as a, my friend and uh, instructor at the dogbotic workshop that I'm taking, uh, put it just yesterday, uh, Sean Hallowell, uh, our brains are analog and we use these digital tools to connect with one another. We use these digital tools to communicate these digital realms are being fed to us in all these ways that where we're both creative and consuming. Um, and it's really easy to forget the, the analog nature of reality and what we're missing when we are uh, living these entire digital lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we, when we become digital producers um, in, in, you know, uh, and disregarding our analog uh, our analog selves. Um, I thought that, I mean, cause I, that was part of what negative lands performance, uh, some of the content of their show because their show, um, it's musical, but it's also, um, a lot of samples of documentary, uh, sound bites and the sound bites were all part of this, um, collage content about, about how our brains work and how our brains are these, uh, sort of, um, mystery analog machines and if we think that we're getting digital information in our eyes and in our ears we're fooling ourselves and reality is is a much reality as we live it in our heads is a much different experience than than uh than all these digital tools that we use to reproduce reality would have us believe uh that everything you know as as far as time and and color and sound are all are all so easy to reproduce uh you know speaking of vinyl a thon there's a reason why we like to hear vinyl on the radio and it's not just that um it's not just uh, because we're nostalgic for something that is obsolete it's because it's it's analog and analog uh still has still has power over us and still has something to share with us uh we should we should listen to more analog sounds as often as we're able. And then, uh, it, it, still, at some stations, when you play an analog vinyl record over a radio station, it's going still in analog to an FM transmitter, which is analog to your radio, which is analog. It's not as guaranteed as it once was, but it's still possible that it's analog all the way through from that studio to your ears. I think that's a great place to leave it this week. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Eric Klein, Paul Reismandel, and Jennifer Waits, our co-hosts and co-producers of the show. Our email address is podcast at radiosurvivor.com. You can always time shift our radio show whenever you want to and subscribe. If I'm allowed to say it, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts were there it's called radio survivor uh thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week <laughs>